Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Heavenly Father, now we're going to share your word. This is your moment, Lord. And we want you to speak. We want you to speak to every person uh, in a special and personal way. Lord, I want it to be personal. I don't want it to be academic. I don't want it to be fancy schmancy, Lord. I want to have people understand what you want to say to them. Lord, just bring your anointing. Anoint the, the people, anoint the people who are listening, men and women, fathers, mothers, uh, children, youths, Lord. We need to hear your word today. We need you to touch our hearts. That's where we want to go. We want to go into a personal relationship with you. So we just ask that you would bless your word today and that you would speak to us and that after this message, we would be a little bit different than before this message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, to begin with, I have a question for you today. Okay. So, did you know that you can accomplish great things, many great things? You can even accumulate great fortunes. Hey, I know a lot of people that have all kinds of money. Millionaires. Before it used to be millionaires and multimillionaires. Now it's billionaires and multi-billionaires. Okay, things have changed. Okay. And you can even be very popular and become even famous. You know, famous, whoa, famous, big deal, you know, famous. And you could still feel empty, useless, and miserable, okay? Everybody wants to get there. Everybody kind of, without even thinking about it, you know, no, no, I want to be number one. I want to get there. Uh, I want to do something and, and, and make a lot of money. Matter of fact, I want to accomplish something in my life. I want my life to be meaningful. Okay, that's not bad, but... I know that in my personal experience, I was able to do a couple of things, and when I was up there, I felt, what's wrong with this picture? Why don't I feel the way I thought I would feel? And we're going to talk about that today. Now, your personal life could be a mess. The relationship with the wife, the relationship with the kids, the relationship with the people around you, the people, a lot of times, the relationship, the people that, that you work with. Let me tell you something. I've done... TV, radio, fancy schmancy, even involved in movies and stuff, a lot of times the people, the relationship between them is terrible. It's a terrible atmosphere. Everybody's just looking out for number one. Everyone just wants to get ahead. So everybody's here like in the big time, big time, but it's not really, really nice. The fact that you have great success and that you are in what man considers to be important doesn't mean that you're going to be fulfilled and you're going to be happy. Okay, so a lot of times we see people who are very successful. It's, I feel very sad. It's very unfortunate. Young people, sometimes young actors, singers, people, professionals, dancers, whatever, they have tremendous success. Success is like a monster. It's a monster that eats you up. They don't know how to handle it. And we've seen so many times they live a wacky, crazy life, and many of them end up committing suicide. So the glory of God versus the glory of man. We, we know and we reach out for, and everybody's crazy looking for that glory of man, but I think where we need to go is to understand and see the glory of God. He wants to speak to us. Look at this. Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs, book of Proverbs in the Bible, 14, 12, says, there is a path before each person that seems right. There's a path that looks like this is the way. This is the way I have to go. But it says, it ends in death. I'll do that again. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. What's that all about? We're thinking one thing. We're thinking, God, when I get there and this and that. And you know what people do? They lie. They cheat. They step on heads. They push aside anybody who's in their way. We just got to get there. I got to be number one. I got to look out for myself. I can't even let anybody get anywhere near me, right? There's a path that looks good, but it leads to death. We think one thing, but the reality is really something else. A lot of people have gotten there. They've struggled. They sacrificed their whole life to get there, only to realize at the end, you know what? This was stupid. This wasn't it. 
this wasn't where I needed to go. I wasted my whole life. We'll always end up with the same conclusion. Colossians 1.27. Christ in you is your only hope of true glory. What do I mean when I say glory? I mean, hey, peace in your heart. Peace with God. You know, that you can love your wife, that your wife can love you, that you really have a good relationship, that you truly are forever the best of friends, the best of companions, that you truly share together, that you love each other, that you treat each other with love and respect, that your children, hey man, that your children can respect you, okay? That your children would say, my, ma my father is a man of his word. Whatever he says, that's it. He's a man of his word. How many children don't hear their father pontificating all over the place and demanding from them and then when they watch his life they see that he doesn't do the things that he says come on guys be a real man let's get this act together Christ in you is the only true way that we can have the glory of God if Christ is in our heart there's a lot that I could talk about we're we're imperfect I don't know about you if you if you're not okay I know that I'm imperfect. I've been a Christian for like 45, 47 years, and I'm, I'm not perfect. If you're, per if you're perfect, you know what? Change the channel. You're, you're, you're on the wrong channel. If you're perfect, you shouldn't even be watching this. But I know that I'm not perfect, and I know that humans, we're not perfect. And what the Bible teaches us is the only way that we can get to the place where we can enter into God's presence, where we can share in his glory, where we can receive and, and, and live the benefits and the blessings that God has for us is entering through receiving Jesus Christ, okay? Entering through Jesus Christ. We're going to live a life obeying him, listening to him, and following his direction. If Jesus Christ is not in my heart, and if he's not the center of my life, no matter how apparently good a whole bunch of stuff may seem to be in my life, in the end, I'm going to feel a great emptiness, and I'm going to feel a great need in my heart. Okay, I'm talking today personal. You and me, you and God, what we need to do, where we need to go, how we need to see this so that this can work in your life. I'm going to end up asking myself, what's missing in my life? What can I do to make this feeling of emptiness go away? And what can I do to really have peace in my heart? Here's another thing I want to tell you. The glory of man, oh, that's tremendous. Oh, when you hit the big time, when you make it, when you do something great. But you know what? It goes away. <laughs> you can lose it like that. Things change. In the music world today, you're the biggest smash. And tomorrow, you're, oh, he's washed up. He's old-fashioned. He's no good anymore. And that could happen in 15 minutes. That's how fast. That's how fast. You know, boom, boom, up, down. You know what I mean? So today, I'd like to share a true story with you, okay? We're going to tell a story. We're going to tell a story. This is not a big theological, big old message. This is just a simple story, but it's a true story. And I want to tell you a story to the glory of God. I'm not just telling you a story to tell you a story. This is so we can understand how God works and where God is coming. I want to talk to you today about a man who lost everything. He lost it all. He lost it all. He lost it all after rising to be the number one in the whole world. The number one in the whole planet. Okay? How hard do you have to work to get to that point? What did he have to suffer to get to be number one in the whole planet? So I'll tell you a story. It's a very interesting story. And uh, it's a story about something that I'm not into at all. <laughs> I'm a piano player. You know, I'm a music guy. But this story is important. And so this man, in his youth, he was a bully, okay? He used to take advantage of people. He was a rough guy in the neighborhood on the block. He was the leader of a gang. The leader of a gang, tough guy, you know, tough guy. He drank a lot of booze, and he was problematic because he always wanted his way. And at one point, he even got arrested by the police, okay? A young punk, okay? A young punk on the street. Why do people end up being like that? Because he's born in poverty. 
God knows what the situation was with his parents, with his family, with his home, with a lot of needs, a lot of nasty stuff going on around, and he grew up in that, and that's what he was. He was a problem. Well, he learned boxing in a government program, okay, a program by the government. You know, let's help these kids out, you know, get them into sports, blah, 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 blah. For young people who are very poor. A program for young people who are very poor. Then, in the year 1968, he won the gold medal in the Olympics in Mexico. <laughs> Pastor Meliero, he comes from there. He knows about that. He knows what I'm talking about. He won the gold medal in the Olympics in Mexico. And then, whoa, in 1973, George Foreman knocked out Joe Frazier and became the heavyweight champion of the world, number one, numero uno. George Foreman, yay, heavyweight champion of the world, number one. However, <laughs> the glory of man, the glory of the world. In October of 1974, when George Foreman fought against Muhammad Ali, he was the sure favorite to win. George Foreman, he's the best. He's number one. He's going to knock him out. That guy with the big mouth, he's going to shut him up. George Foreman. He won all of his professional fights. He had never lost a fight. He had won all his fights. He worked hard. Athletes have to work hard. You cannot be a world-class athlete and be a lazy person. He worked hard to get there. He won most of his fights by knockout. And when the fight with Muhammad Ali began, he dominated, dominated the first six rounds. George Foreman's a big guy, big guy. He can really handle his weight. He can move around. He can do his thing. It wasn't for anything that he won all his 40 professional fights. But in round seven, he began to lose his mobility. What's mobility? To be able to move around. If you're going to box, you've got to be able to move around. You've got to be able to duck punches and throw punches and do it. All of a sudden, he started getting a little stiff. It just wasn't happening. He wasn't moving the way he needed to move. Something was wrong. And in round eight, oh, my God, he experienced his first loss ever by knockout. Oh, my God. Number one on the planet, and all of a sudden, this young guy comes along and knocks him out. Whew. There's something about the glory of this life and this world. And I'm thinking back, you know, that I'm Puerto Rican, and I was born in Brooklyn, New York. So in Brooklyn, New York, it just so happens there's a lot of Jewish people. And when I was younger, I got a chance to talk to a lot of these Jewish people. And you know what always came up in their story? They always did big, important things. They're really good in business and this and that. But all of them, there came a point in the story where they said, and then we lost it all. Things fell apart. Things fell apart. That, that happens a lot in this life. That happens whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. And for George Foreman, it fell apart. Now, those people in Brooklyn, what they did was they just picked themselves up and started to apply themselves again, and they were able to, to come out of it and, 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 and do it again, get back to where they were. And so a little later on, George Foreman was preparing for a rematch, a rematch fight with Muhammad Ali. You know, we can, we can get back, we can, we can do it again, blah, 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 did it before, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Inside, he was feeling like something was wrong. After that first big defeat, he wanted to come back. He was working hard to come back, but he felt something was wrong. He began to feel a big emptiness inside. Emptiness inside. God was already beginning to work in his life. You know how I know that? Because I was there, did that. When things really opened up for me, which, by the way, I didn't even expect. I didn't know that was going to happen. We got involved with, a, with a, a, a festival of the bands, a festival of the bands. What's a festival? All the bands are going to play. But the next thing you know, it's, I didn't realize it, but it was a competition. They're going to see at the end who's number one. You know what I mean? What's going on? And I said, oh, my God, suppose some young little band wins. We're going to look bad, you know? But no, we came out as number one. And you know what it was? The kings of salsa. Me and my partner, the singer, Bobby Cruz, Richie Ray, Bobby Cruz, the kings of salsa. 
reached the top. Now everybody was treating us like, you're royalty. Whoa, you guys, yeah, you're the king, you're the king, blah, blah, blah. And I was feeling inside of me, wait a minute, what's wrong here? What is wrong? Why don't I feel the way I think I'm supposed to feel or the way I should feel? So I can relate to this a little bit. He was feeling an emptiness inside. He felt a great struggle. And you know what? George Foreman, even at this time in his life, fought with feelings of depression and thoughts of committing suicide. He's still the same tremendous man, tremendous athlete, tremendous boxer, wants to do the comeback, but he's feeling all kinds of stuff. What I can say is this. When God starts to work in the life of a person, we start feeling things that we've never felt before. We start seeing things that we've never seen before. The Bible teaches us that for you to receive Christ, for you to receive God, for you to receive your salvation, God has to first do something. God does something in your life that kind of opens the door and prepares the way. And, and the Bible says that if that doesn't happen, then you're not going to get saved. So he's already beginning to feel stuff going on inside. Feelings even of suicide. Now, look at this. When these guys lose from being world champion, now to come back, they have to do a few fights to work their way back up. So it just so turns out that my homeland, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but my family's from Puerto Rico. My dad's from Manatee. My mother is from Arroyo, okay? And I got to know Puerto Rico when I was like 22 years old, something like that, because I spent my life in Brooklyn. Okay, now, in the year 1977, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, George Foreman fought against a little-known boxer, a guy who wasn't even well-known. His name was Jimmy Young. And after that fight, Foreman figured, then I'll do the rematch with Muhammad Ali, and I'm going to make a lot of money. This is going to be great. I'm going to be number one again, blah, blah, blah. The big rematch. But contrary to the predictions of all the experts, oh, my God, Foreman lost the fight in Puerto Rico. He lost the fight. How the heck could he lose a fight to some guy that he's not even a big deal? What's going on? Well, when God chooses somebody, God gets into your life, and you just can't get away from it. That night, after he lost the fight in Puerto Rico, after the second big disappointment in his life, which he never saw either one coming, he, what he didn't expect, and I'm sure he worked hard and he meant well, but God had a plan with his life. George Foreman, after that fight, after he lost that fight, he goes to the dressing room, trembling and in tears. He threw himself on his knees in his dressing room, and he cried out to God with all of his strength. No, 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 I'm not going to fight this anymore. God, help me. God, help me. He cried out to God. He asked God to forgive his sins. He asked Jesus to come into his heart, be the Lord of his life. From that moment on, God, you know... Uh, now, I've been a pastor for many years, and I, I know God does these things, and I always pray God, you know, because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard what, what people have to go through till they get to that point. He surrendered himself. He surrendered his life. And you know what? He surrendered his career as a boxer. That's it. I'm going to follow God from now on. The guy really had a life-changing, transforming experience. Apparently, somewhere in his background, maybe he had gone to church when he was a little kid, or maybe he had a grandmother or an aunt or something, or maybe somebody in his family, but this all kicked in now, and he said, I'm all in. I'm all in with God. I'm tired of trying to do it myself, and I'm going to do this this way. He felt, he felt that God was calling him. He felt that God was calling him with a purpose. He felt that God is calling him. No, he said, you know, this is not a coincidence. The way all of this is happening, something's going on here. God is doing a number on me or God is trying to show me something God is trying to do. He felt there was a purpose. And right there, he ended his boxing career. Like I said, these athletes, I checked about this. I checked about this the other day. Because I was wondering, because I'm in the music business, so, you know, I'm not that much into sports. I, I like to, you know, once in a while. But I asked what happens to these people after they get too old or when they cannot 
do what they were doing in their sport, you know? What happens to them then? And what I learned was that their training to become a world-class athlete is so disciplined, so intense, that many times they can go ahead and pick a career, something that they feel they can work with, and they apply the same discipline and the, you know, the, way they, the, the way you became number one boxer of the world, now he devoted that to studying the word of God and to being a man of God and to being a Christian. He began to study the Bible intensely, intensely. Now, we know that coming into the Christian life is a process. This is, this is step by step, step by step. So after a while, this wasn't like the next day. It took some time. He had to begin from zero and start building up his knowledge of the word and thing. But after a time, George Foreman was ordained as a Christian pastor. Whoa, hallelujah. Now he became a Christian pastor. What he did was he always stayed away from publicity because since he had been so famous, he didn't want that to get in the way of what he was doing. And you know what he did? He came from the streets. He came from poverty. So he didn't get a big building and, and do a big fancy schmancy deal and serve everybody Starbucks coffee. No. He went to the street. He would preach in the, in the barrios, in the slums. He would preach to the people, to the drunks and the drug addicts on the street. And he would preach in the city buses. You know what it is? Everybody's on the bus. They're in a bad mood. They're ah, 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 to stand up there and start preaching the word of God. You know, you can get somebody punch you in the nose, you know. But that's, that's, that's how he felt it. He wanted to reach as many people as he could for Christ. And he had a tremendous burden for the poor because he came from being poor. He knew what that was. And he wanted to reach those young kids that were suffering from the same problems he experienced when he was a youth. Now, he, he started a small church and he began to serve the Lord Full-time, serving the Lord full-time in a humble, small church. Hallelujah. All the members of the congregation were very, very poor. Poor people. He wasn't looking for glory. He wasn't looking for money. He had been there already. He knew that that wasn't it. He was trying to reach the needy people where they are. People that he understood them. He knew their needs. George Foreman, for years, paid all the bills out of his own pocket. He wasn't there to take the money from those people. That was not his purpose. Yes, you see a lot of churches where everything is ah, fancy schmancy, a lot of money. That wasn't what he was doing. He wanted to share with them the experience that he had had with God. To get into them what he had experienced and how God had changed his life. However, since he had abandoned his career as a boxer, he didn't have that income that he had before anymore. You know, maybe when he first started, he had some money saved or whatever. But after a while, the day finally came when he found himself in a financial crisis. And that financial crisis ended up in bankruptcy. Yes, bankruptcy. Okay, now, in those difficult moments... When he tried to understand, God, what is going on here? I have devoted my life to you. I have given myself to you. I gave up my professional career. I'm here. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to reach these people. So a lot of questions come into your mind. And he's thinking, I got all these bills. I got all these people coming after me. I feel so bad. Now I'm in bankruptcy. I don't like this. I don't like this. And you know what? I'm a boxer. That's the only thing I know how to do besides this. That's my profession. But would it be a contradiction for me to return to the ring? Can a boxer share the can a, can a pastor share the pulpit with boxing? I don't understand. I don't understand. What do I do? What do I do here? One day he was studying the Bible. He studied the Bible every day. <laughs> he was in Genesis chapter twenty-two, and he saw that God asked Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faith in the Bible. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. So what's the story? Abraham's wife could not have babies. You know what I mean? There was something wrong with her. She couldn't produce children. So at that time, that was like very important for people to have a son, to have a son, to have a child, whatever. And Abraham, nothing was happening. 
But the Bible says that Abraham was God's friend because Abraham believed God. He believed in God and he walked the way God wanted him to walk. The Bible says that Abraham was God's friend and God made promises to Abraham. And God promised Abraham that he would have a son, that he would have a son. But it wasn't, you know, his wife couldn't have babies, so time went by, blah, blah, blah. But when they were already like old, 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 I'm talking real old, they already had been receiving Social Security for about 20 years. You know what I mean? Like they were really up there, okay? She had the baby. And oh my God, that was like exciting, amazing, incredible. God was faithful to his promise. God, I believed. I'm his friend. And he said he was going to bless me, and he did. But in chapter 22 of Genesis, God says to Abraham, okay, now, Abraham, I want you to give me back that son. I want you to take him on this mountain, make an altar out of rocks, put him on the altar, and kill him yourself. I want you to sacrifice your son to me. What's this all about? The son of the blessing? Yeah, that one, that one. The one you call Isaac, Isaac, that one. Sacrifice that kid to me. Now, are you for real or what? Anyway. Abraham believed God, he believed in God, he believed in God's love, and he thought, I don't understand this at all. I don't know what the heck is going on here. I don't know what God is trying to do. But everything I've seen about God until now is positive. I know that he loves me. Having the son was a tremendous blessing. So I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to just put one foot in front of the other, literally, and him and the son who was already pretty much a grown man at that point, come on, we're going to go do a sacrifice, son. We're going to do a sacrifice. Where? Oh, on, on this mountain. Let's go up there. And along the way, the son says, hey, dad, we're going to do a sacrifice, but where's the animal? What are we going to sacrifice, you know? What are you going to look for, a bunny rabbit up there? Or what, what's the deal, you know? He said, don't worry about it. God will take care of that. We're going to go up there, and we're going to do what we got. They get up there. They get the rocks. They make the altar. They prepare everything. And what happened was that I don't know how Abraham convinced his son. There are certain things that it's a little bit hard to understand. But there they were, the altar, and Abraham told the son, and I guess he must have been a good father because it looks like the, the son had a lot of faith. And he said, son, lay down there. You are the sacrifice. And the Bible says that, you know, Abraham is there to sacrifice his son, this thing that is unbelievable, hard to get her, wrap our heads around it, and, and he has the knife, and he's about to stab his son to death, but it says that the angel of the Lord, this is an angel that, that was actually the Lord, but in the form of an angel, and the angel came and grabbed his hand, and he said, okay, Abraham, I know that you're going to do this. I know that you are going to do it that you would do it. You were going to do it. If I didn't stop you, I know that you would have done it. And because that's the case, you don't have to do it. So the whole thing is that God asked Abraham to do this to test his faith. God does that. He wants to know if you're for real or if you're just jiving around. Are you for real? Abraham showed that he was. George saw that Abraham obeyed God and that God did not take his son. Abraham had passed the test when, by faith, he put everything in God's hands. He told his son, God will supply the sacrifice. And as soon as the angel held his hand and stopped the whole thing, boom, a ram showed up, an animal. And they did the sacrifice with that animal. So they were able to do the sacrifice that day, but it wasn't his son. Now, George had trusted God completely, and he had left everything behind to serve the Lord 100%. All he wanted to do now was, hey, pay off his bills and not owe anything to anybody. Do the right thing. Get right all around, you know. He put the whole matter in God's hands now. He prayed a lot, put the whole God's thing in God's hands. And he said, if God wants me to box again, then he will do it. He will open the door. I'm not going to do anything to go that way. Got a verse for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for evil, 
to give you a future and to give you a hope. I'm going to do that again. Remember this, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Hey, I'm not just talking here. God has you listening to me today. God talking to you today. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Okay? Now, biblically, I was studying that this week. The word hope in the Bible doesn't mean like, ah, eh, maybe. No, no. When the Bible says hope, it means it's going to happen. We have a hope. We can believe that that is going to happen, that it's coming. So, look at this. You know how the people in the media, they got big mouths. They like to comment about everything. So, when he became with that situation of the bankruptcy, everybody starts commenting. And apparently, some announcer mentioned, well, you know, this guy, he made a church and whatnot, and now he's, uh, you know, got a bankruptcy problem. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, wouldn't be surprised if he ended up maybe fighting to make a little money to get out of the problem. Okay. When that guy said that, all of a sudden, everybody else started commenting, and they said, that's pathetic. That shouldn't be allowed. George Foreman is an old, broken-down boxer, and he's going to get killed. They shouldn't even allow him to do that. That's crazy. That's impossible. He's a broken-down old man. Today in the media, we see people saying a lot of negative things, and also in the social media. Everybody gets on there, and they start blabbering and blabbering, and, and most of the time, they just, you know, just it's, it's, it's not very nice, and they're not very polite, and they just say crazy things because they want everybody to say, oh, look at what so-and-so said. But sometimes a negative comment can produce a positive effect. Sometimes something that was said in a negative way can end up being something positive. The general public now liked Joe Foreman, uh, George Foreman. Now they like him. And soon the possibility of him returning to the ring became big news. Wow, is it possible? Could he possibly come back? You think he might fight again? Okay, because this new George Foreman is, is a Christian now. He's a Christian now, and people, they see that, and they said, oh, that's, that's interesting. He was now the beloved, respected pastor who helped the poor and the homeless. Wow, a different kind of a thing. He's not that mean guy that beat uh, Joe Frazier. He's, he's a pastor now. He's a Christian. His heart, he loves people. He loves the poor and the homeless. Many people loved him and were praying for him, but... Michael Moorer was now the world champion. A young man with a lot of power, tremendous speed, speed, and he had never lost even one fight. Michael Moorer. How could I say? A finely tuned fighting machine. The guy is a robot, young, strong, terrible, terrible. The day finally arrived. It just kept going and going and going until finally the day arrived where he's going to fight Michael Moore. The Coliseum was packed, sold out. Oh my God, George Foreman is going to come out of retirement. He's been preaching the word of God and now he's going to face Michael Moore. How could this possibly be? When the fight began, you know what happened? Everybody noticed that the critics were absolutely Right. <laughs> For nine rounds, George Foreman was getting his brains knocked out. He was being totally beat up, pulverized by this young powerhouse fighting machine young man. Michael Murrow was too young, too fast. For, uh, Foreman was getting totally beat up during nine rounds. I believe. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Around is about three minutes. And you know what? Those three minutes can be an eternity, especially if you're getting beat up. <laughs> punches in your nose, punches in your face, punches in your stomach, punches all over the place. It just won't end. And it's round one, round two, round three, round four. You know, he's not young anymore. He's not the same guy who beat up Ali. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine him? going through nine rounds of this. First of all, when the bell rings, just getting up and coming out again to get beat up some more, and what's going through his mind? Did I get out of the will of God? 
this, with this the right decision? What am I doing here? What made me think I could do this? Ba 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 ba. But he kept out coming out round after round, doing terribly, terribly, terribly. But then, but then, but then. That's <laughs> crazy, huh? <laughs> Everyone was totally amazed when they saw George Foreman retake the title of heavyweight champion of the world for the second time in his life by knocking out Michael Moore in round 10. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. What the heck is this? That's like Samson in the Bible. They took his eyes out, they beat him up, they locked him up, and then at the end, they take him out for a few minutes and he finished off everybody. You know, the Bible says that we don't fight. God is the one who fights. What happened? Foreman was at that point 45 years old. The oldest world champion boxer of all time. There has never been and there will never be somebody that old who is a world heavyweight champion. Okay? Everyone thought that Michael Morrow was going to get up again. Hey, he's young. He could take it. What the heck? You know, maybe he slipped, whatever. And the guy's there, one, two, three, eight, nine, ten. Oh, my God. Michael Moore did not get up. He didn't get up. When he said ten, everybody just went bananas. That place exploded. And George Foreman raised his hand and looked up to heaven and went going in a circle, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I know you did this because I definitely know that I didn't do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then he got on his knees, and, and while everybody applauded, he cried. He wept like a baby, and he thanked God there for a good time, and everybody saw that. Everybody knew what was going on. He just praised the king with thanksgiving. You know, God blessed him greatly. Greatly, and he was able to resolve all of his financial problems. You know, he made some money. He was able to take care of the bankruptcy and put everything. And then in 1977, he retired from boxing forever. That was it. That was it. Praise God. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. <laughs> Most people don't even know George Foreman from his boxing days. They know him from something else. After retiring from boxing, the Lord gave George Foreman another talent, another gift, something else. This is crazy. God has stuff that we don't even know about. The next thing we know, he's had amazing success selling a product on TV. One thing led to another. You know, he's a big, healthy guy, and there's this product, and this and that, and everybody wants to be healthy, low fat, blah, blah, blah. So the George Foreman grilling machine cooks hamburgers, and it gets rid of all the fat so you can be healthy. You can have a hamburger and not take so much grease, right? It's been the best-selling electrical cooking appliance of all time. Nothing ever sold like that thing sold. And, you know, when that thing sells, every time that thing sells, boom, a little royalty comes into his pocket. You know what I mean? Gazillions of them, millions and millions and millions of them. It became like unbelievably incredible. The thing is, he's got a great personality. So when he talks about it, and since he's a healthy guy, like people just went bananas with that thing. So now, what does this story have to do with us? What can we learn from this story? We're going to wrap this up now soon. How can we apply this to our lives? Well, George's success has been built on his Christian principles. You understand? God led him to see something, and he opened up to that. And you know, like they say in poker, you're playing poker, and you have all these chips. They talk about being all in. All in is when you say, okay, I'm putting in all my chips. I'm risking everything. He went all the way for Jesus. Number one, he has complete and total faith in Jesus Christ. He became like Abraham. Jesus is it. Jesus is God. Whatever he says, that's me. I am there. Number two, he has always worked hard. Now, I'm a piano player. He's an athlete. Whatever you do, you got to work hard. If you want to be a lazy slob, you're never going to get anywhere, okay? So I'm giving you a good piece of advice. Get off your butt. Get up early and do what you got to do if you want to do whatever you want to do. If you want to sing, learn how to sing. If you want to be a ball player, learn how to play ball, okay? You got to work hard. Work hard. And since his conversion, he's always trusted in God for everything. 
I believe in God. People tell me one thing, I believe what God says. I believe what the word of God says. I don't believe in twinkle, twinkle, little star. Somebody said to me, somebody this and that, but because there's a lot of voices out there. No. What does the word of God say? That's what he went by. Number three, he's always strived to be humble and honest, and he's always walked in integrity. People want to get ahead, but there's some, there's a, there was a guy called Mac, Machiavelli, Machiavelli, way back, hundreds of years ago, and he wrote some rules about how to get ahead. You got to stab people in the back. You got to lie. You got to cheat. You got to get ahead. You can't let all that baloney. That's straight out of hell. He, George Foreman, has done things with integrity, no lying, no taking advantage of anybody, and doing exactly what the Word of God says at all times. God has blessed him economically. Look at this. And now, he's much older now, he continues his ministry by donating millions of dollars to the work of God and to the poor and the homeless and the needy all around the world. He's using the blessing that's God given him to bless others. You know, you know what I mean? Once I have enough money so that I can pay my rent, eat, have the clothing I need, have a roof over my head, what's extra, I invest it in the kingdom of God. I invest it in the kingdom of God. And that's what he's done. Millions of dollars to the work of the Lord. Organizations that, that deal with needy people. Okay, now let's bring this back to the Bible. The Apostle Paul, I don't know why or how that worked, but he related to athletes and sports, okay? And he has various examples in his teachings that talk about things that have to do with athletes. Okay, so we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 37. 24 to 27. Okay. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone wins? Everyone runs. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So what does Paul say? So, run to win. <laughs> run to win. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. Run to win. Go all the way. Be all in. All athletes are disciplined in their training. That's what I said. All athletes are disciplined. You know, they get good training, good discipline. They do it to win a prize that's going to fade away. You know, what's it going to be? A crown or some money or this and that, that fades away. We're doing it for the kingdom of God. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus. You know what I mean? It's going to be great. We do it for an eternal prize. And the Bible says, I think it's Peter, that... If we're walking correctly, God is going to bless us here and he's going to bless us in eternity. It works all the way around. It's a win-win no matter how you look at it. Then Paul says, hey, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just shadow boxing, throwing punches in the wind, you know. He says, no, 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 no. I'm here. And when I throw this right hook, man, that guy's going down. Every punch needs to count. You cannot be... You know, going to church for a, for a half an hour on Sunday and then the rest of the week doing what you want. No, no, God wants to be a part of your whole life. Every decision, everything you do, the Father wants the Son to be formed inside of you. We have to look more and more like Christ, okay? He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Damn, I'm going to train my body. You know what I mean? I work out with some dumbbells. They're like this big. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, and I do these things, and, 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 and you know, sometimes I can't go anymore, but I make sure I do a few more. I am a piano player, you know what I mean? I'm not an athlete, okay. Otherwise, he says, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is an apostle. He's leading people. But you know what? You are a father. You are a mother. You are leading your children. You preach to them. You correct them. You make sure that what you say and what you preach to those kids and what you want them to do, that you do it. That you do it to the limit so that they don't say, ah, mom and dad, they say they're Christians, but they're full of baloney. You know, that's the worst thing you can do. And just like the boxer who's in the ring, we don't have the luxury to be able to let our guard down. Okay, so a long time ago, before I was a Christian, I did a little karate. So, you know... You're here, and, and, and this is the strong punch, and then this is the guard. So when they're throwing things at you, you know, with this hand, you can, you can block stuff. You know what I mean? And then when you see the opening, whack! 
You know what I mean? And when you hit them with that whack, you know, he's going down. He's going down. But if I'm over here and I put my guard down, he can whack me. You understand? We cannot let our guard down. We cannot let our guard down. Now, let's look at this whole picture. First of all, the Bible says we need to receive Christ in our heart. We need to receive Jesus, okay? It's not your show anymore. It's not your game. It's not your rules. It's going to be the way God says. And you have to understand that. If that doesn't work for you, change the channel. ¿Me entiende? That's, all, that's what it's all about. You need to be willing to understand, to receive, because otherwise you're watching the wrong program. You're, you're in the wrong place, okay? Here's what it says. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Oh, who's going to be saved? How do you get saved? Who's going to be? Well, whoever calls upon the Lord at the name. In other words, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you're calling him. You're coming into his kingdom. You're coming into his rules. You're going to do things his way. You're going to listen to him. You're going to put your ego aside. You're going to stop trying to be the boss and let him guide you and lead you, okay? We need to admit that we're sinners and ask Jesus to forgive our sins. If you're not a sinner, change the, change the channel. If you're perfect, change the channel. You're in the wrong place. But I know that me and a whole bunch of other big, big people in the things of God uh, understand that we are sinners. We're in a process. God is working with us. The Bible says that when we get there, that's when it, the process finishes. We must be willing to submit to his word and obey his commandments. Number two, we need to maintain and nourish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember the movie Star Wars? The force is with you. The force. No, no. That's impersonal. No. Jesus is a person. He's really a person, and he cares about each one of us. Jesus is bigger than the Internet. You know what I mean? He's like huge, humongous. He can be personally relating to each and every one of us, and he is. And he sees everything you do, and he wants to guide you in everything you do. He's our God, our Lord, and our Savior. Number three, we need to cultivate our prayer life. We need to talk to God. Talk to God. Put everything that's going on in our lives in his hands. And on, on that subject, I know we're going to end any minute now. Talk to your wife. Wives, talk to your husband. Pray before. Lord, give me the right moment. Put that person in the right mood. And let's sit down. You know, we're Latinos. We drink coffee, you know. Let's sit down, have some coffee. Talk things through. Not argue. Not fight. Everybody just put everything on the table and talk it through. We need to do that with God. Hey, this morning I was preparing for this message. When I was coming down that highway, I'm talking to God like crazy. <laughs> I'm talking to God like crazy. Lord, you got to do this. You got to do this. You need to help me. You need to be with me. I've done everything that I can do humanly, but now I need your touch. We need to have a prayer life. And finally, most important, we need to live our lives submitted to God, and we need to obey him. It comes down to that, you know. I, I may not understand everything. I, I may not even agree with everything. But that's not what he wants me to do. He wants me to obey. Like when he told Abraham, sacrifice your son. That's, that's a crazy, extreme example. But it goes to that point. I need to be willing to listen to God and be submitted to God. In other words... I'm not doing it with a nasty attitude. No, I'm doing it because I believe that God loves me and he wants the best for me and this is going to turn out good. And it says in Romans 8, 28, that if we love the Lord and we're called according to his purpose, if we're in his kingdom, in his game, playing by his rules, everything is going to turn out fine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm telling you, there's a lot of good stuff here. Peace, tranquility, the glory of God, a glory that doesn't go away. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to hit the wall every once in a while, but you're not alone. God's with you, and you will make it to the other side. We go on, 2 Corinthians 5.17. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person 
inside. He's not the same anymore, and a new life has won. Okay, so I remember when I first got saved, hey, but you know, I've been, you know, it was the time of the Beatles, the Rolling Stone, everybody's whacked out on LSD, marijuana, cocaine, all those crazy stuff. So you may be thinking, I don't know, this is not really me. I, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can get into that. I don't know if that's, that's for me. Well, it says here, when you come into the Lord, He's, there's going to be a transformation. You're going to look at yourself in your mirror and you're going to say, wow, I see myself and I cannot believe what God is doing in my life. We become a new creature. Don't feel like you can't do this. You're not going to be doing it alone. God is going to be with you. He's going to make you into a new person. And you and your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids are going to be amazed at what God is doing with you. And we'll end with this final scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at this. God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. His son, the son of God, perfect, sinless, white as snow, and all the junk and stinky garbage that's inside of us, he poured it into his own son. Why? For our benefit. To open a door. He paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price so that we could enter into God's presence. Then it says here, then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Hey, how could, how could we not do this? How could we not accept this? You know, I don't even deserve this. I don't deserve the blessings that God has given me. But that's how it is. Salvation is free, free. All you have to do is be all in. Be willing to go all the way with God, to step back and let him do it. Brothers and sisters, there are great and wonderful blessings prepared for all who are brave enough to believe God and who are willing to follow and obey him with all of their hearts. Okay? I hope you got this, and I'll be praying for all of you. Don't forget to pray for the people in Lebanon. They're going through a big problem. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We praise you and we worship you. We thank you for today, for this opportunity to share your word, Lord. We just pray that it would go out and that people would be able to understand it and digest it and that they would receive it in their hearts because I know that you love them and you bless them. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.